Manx Radio Podcasts, powered by Shaw. Hello and welcome to the Women Today Podcast, a look back at some of our best bits over the past five days. And this week we've taught poetry and protests, we've honoured the Great British Bake Off final and heard from the head of the Chamber of Commerce. And as October the 11th is International Day of the Girl, we talked a little bit about this year's theme, The Power of the Adolescent Girl. And our guest on Friday was Kumar Menon, who grew up in India. Kumar, this just really got me thinking about, obviously, um, the kind of international importance of this observance day. And we, we spoke before about the fact that you uh, you grew up in India, mm-hmm. um, but yet you're, you're raising your daughter here on the Isle of Man. Um, what, what sort of differences do you see between kind of young and adolescent girls and how they are educated and brought up between India and here? I think uh, we are quite lucky um, on, on the Isle of Man and the UK or in the West in, in general um, where women and men are treated quite equal and uh, where I came, where I come from um, when I was well, on my teens or my, my um, when I was a little uh, in my school days for example uh, you could see the difference. Uh, men or boys are treated different, I mean, totally different to uh, women. They are kind of, um, um, what they foresee themselves, the parents are there, you know, uh, foresee that uh, she's a girl, she'll end up in, you know, she'll m- get married and she'll be cooking and that's that's her place. The kitchen, that's her place. And that it's not the same. And in India nowadays, especially after the, the massive... Um, the um, the outcry after the the rape in Delhi it shook the whole nation and it ha- it's not completely gone but it has there has been significant changes uh, you can see it and uh, in metropolitan cities and all over India Bangalore Delhi uh, Bombay for example uh, where um, it's westernization it's you know it's slowly creeping in into India and you can see men and women are treated equal and it, it is you will get there eventually but unfortunately it's not the same uh, when you uh, this day and age it's not still not the same your daughter Leela is 10 yes are you yes. are you glad that she's kind of spending those those important years on the Isle of Man. Oh, definitely, Isle of Man. I think it's it's a it's a our island is so beautiful and it's the best place to bring up kids. And um, I call our island home. I love the island and the people. It's 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 a beautiful place, definitely. And now we are asking, how important is the right to protest? Um, because last night, over 100 feminist protesters jumped the barriers onto the red carpet at the premiere of the film Suffragette. Now, that film tells the story of the suffragettes' fight to get women the vote. And activists from Sisters Uncut, who campaign against domestic violence, well, they attended the star-studded event, claiming that they wanted to raise awareness about the cuts to domestic violence services. And they were seen to be shouting things like, the battle isn't over yet, we are suffragettes and well what they were shouting there was dead women can't vote and one of the protesters told the Guardian newspaper the struggle for women's liberation isn't over at a time when two women a week are killed by violent men in the UK we need to keep fighting access for women to social housing benefits and legal aid have all been reduced and women are dying I think it's fair to say that most of the film's stars were pretty supportive of the protest here's Helena Bonham Carter I'm glad that our film's done something. I think our film exactly that's exactly what it's there for, is that if you feel strongly about strongly enough about something and there's an injustice there, that you can you can speak out and you can try and get something changed. 
the, I mean, it's a perfect response to our film. So we're asking today, how important is the right to protest? Have you ever been involved in a protest? Or do you think there's simply no point in taking to the streets? Were they right to do what they did last night? Love to hear your thoughts on this, 166-177. You can also email women today at manxradio.com. OK, Kate, um, what do you think of the protest last night? Were they right to do what they did? Yes, I think they they were really. Um, I think what they were protesting about domestic violence against women is an incredibly important issue. And I also think the fact was this is a film about and called Suffragette. I mean, if you even just put it into the context of what those women fought for, of course it was right to use that as a, a reason to come forward and make a stand and make a point. I wonder if... Um it was expected. I wonder how many people actually thought that was what's going to happen because my initial thought would be I completely agree with you that actually you can't have a film suffragette without having a suffragette type protest. Yeah, I can understand that and I can understand why there would be a protest there. My only the my only feeling is sometimes I do believe that silent protests are a little bit more powerful and women screaming and shouting things doesn't help their case sometimes. I just wonder though if I I can I do agree with you in some way. I think there have been some amazing silent very very powerful protests over the years. But in this day and age, do you get the attention that you are after by by being silent? Do you need to kind of go over the top and you know go onto a red carpet in order to get the kind of media attention for your cause? Well, it's certainly got it, hasn't it? Because, you know, you open the papers, you look online and it's all about this today. So they've got exactly what they wanted out of it, which is brilliant. But, um, you know, if you're in London, there's a protest every single week. And all we think of is, oh, it's disruption on the roads and it's just another protest. But then what they're talking about is something that's incredibly real and is happening. You think two women a week killed by violent men. And, yeah, we might just think, oh, it's just another protest. But for for some people, that is reality. Absolutely. And I think it's an incredibly, incredibly important um, cause to be highlighting. And and to hear those statistics, I think we can often become so blasé when we hear those kind of numbers. But to to use the platform of a film premiere to make a point which resonates so well with what the film was about I think was incredibly intelligent and um, yeah if they hadn't been there I think it would have been a real missed opportunity But I think we also have to say because I was listening a lot to it on the radio yesterday that there is of course violence against men too Um, and so we see the figures where there's two women killed every week in the UK but how much do we talk about men that suffer with domestic violence too? Uh, Jan Watson, what are your thoughts on the protest last mm. night? I think it's a, a very, very worrying um, subject. Um, and so I, I think possibly, you know, we're all talking about it now. So it is ha- it's had the desired effect. And I think, you know, coming from my, my sort of training and my experience with children, um, it's not just men and women that are affected by this. You know, you've got... A lot of children are affected by domestic violence, so I, I, I do feel that anything that brings raises the profile again, especially if, if cuts are being made. And I think sometimes a lot of um, cuts are made to human services and, and services that make, you know, such a difference to, to these people who are really, really troubled. So I kind of think, yeah, you know, keep keep the profile up. Uh, text in from David saying right to protest yes civil disobedience no and it's interesting because people who've been critical about this say these women they jumped the barriers they got in the way they put everything behind schedule it was just a bit rude really 
Yeah, I can see that. I think that is actually a good point because I do believe there's a way to behave in a protest and at what point is violence needed? And a lot of the scary things, um, you know, that happen in London when a protest is taking part, you want to stay away because you don't know at what point it's going to turn into a riot. Absolutely. I think that thin line between a protest and a riot mm. is, um, is 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 very, very thin, to uh, use that phrase again. But... Um, Again, I think it goes back to that point of, of do you have to go that little bit further to get that attention? Do you kind of get more attention if a fight breaks out because suddenly all the cameras point at it and all the TV channels switch to it? So do you need that little bit of drama, that little bit of excitement just to grab people's attention? So at what point does that make it successful? How can you determine a successful protest? I don't I think it depends what you're protesting against or for, because I think there's a difference if you're protesting for something or against something. So if you're protesting for a change in legislation or a change in legislation not to happen, then that obvious success. But I think in the in the main, a, a successful protest is probably exactly this. It's getting the headlines, it's getting people talking about it, it's raising the profile just socially. But then won't it fade away again? At what point? How far will this go? How much attention? It suddenly gets short, but is it short-term attention? And that's the problem again, I suppose, is that if each time you need to do that, something that's a little bit more dramatic, something that's a little bit more exciting, and possibly something that's a little bit more violent or risky, then I think that is worrying as it just continues to escalate. Uh, very quick question. Have you ever taken part in a protest, Kate? No, I haven't. But I think I think I would. If But I think I would want to really, truly care and not just be there for a day out. Jan, have you ever taken part in one? I I was involved in a, a march um, for the NUT um, for um, years ago, actually, sort of trying to improve pay for teachers. So, Did you get the required result? Um, I think, as usual, there was a compromise at the end of it. <laughs> Joe, have you ever taken part in one? Only with my brothers on many occasions against my parents, but I don't know if you call that a protest. <laughs> It is the Great British Bake Off final, a big night for many TV fans. Let's have a bit of this. You all right, Mickey? Tension is rising. The girls are walking into the studio. <gasps> Nadia, Ian and Tamal all facing Paula Mary's critical eye and taste buds this evening for the final time. So we thought, why not honour it with something that we like to wittily call the Great Women Today Bake Off. Uh, this afternoon, Kate and Joe are facing one another uh, and we're going to try the cakes that they have been slaving over and I will pick the Women Today star baker. Um, they have just entered this... Oh, Kate. Kate's uh, brought in a creation decorated with lots of... Um, chocolate fingers I thought the whole idea was that I wasn't supposed to know who'd done which one I don't think you do know oh right oh okay um so we have um Alex Brindley could you describe them for us um well you've got one cake that is uh, very on brand I'm quite impressed with that uh, that is a uh, um it's a white cake with um um it it's completely iced um from uh, top to toe really with the uh, um pink icing around the bottom and then the full women today logo cut out of what looks like either icing or marzipan on the top um, which did say beth kate and joe on the top in icing as well um although beth your name's gone a bit sloppy and um then we look at the the other cake and it looks like a chocolate fort quite frankly it's uh, surrounded by um both the normal uh, cabri chocolate fingers and white chocolate fingers uh, there's lots of chocolate buttons there's there's those silver edible ball oh, bearings. Like, oh, 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 I love it. I yeah. love an edible ball bearing. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, <laughs> just behave yourself, Brindley. And and then on top you've got uh, drumsticks um, sticking out the top, and those whistle sweets. Oh, I haven't really had a whistle lolly for ages. Okay, there are photographs of these creations on uh, the Women's Day Facebook page. I understand. Uh, Kate, remind us of the rules. 
So the rules were to simply bake a sponge cake. Um, however, there were no restrictions on decoration, as you can see. Yeah. Um, jo, you're quite the experienced baker, really, aren't you? I wouldn't say experienced, but I'm just basically 40 years old. I think that says enough. <laughs> Kate, you're a bit of a whiz in the kitchen. This is uh, the first cake I have ever made, apart from when I was very, very little with some help from my mum. So this is my first. My first, and um, I'm not going to lie, this is also my last cake. It was horrific. Horrific. I think we all want to hear a bit of the text conversation that you girls had last night. Can I just say on that basis, I think she wins anyway, being the first time she's ever made a cake. Mm. Hats off, because we know how much she loves cooking. (laughs) Okay, so the text conversation last night, we have to read this out because it was one of the funniest conversations that I've had with Kate in her kitchen and mine in mine. Okay, so it starts. Right, missus, I want proof of you making a cake with the flowers, egg and butter. Hmm, photo please. So I sent her a photograph of the ingredients, said... Don't worry. Well, worry. This will end terribly. (laughs) Why? Have you cheated? Come on, be honest. I won't even mind as you can't cheat decorating. Well, I don't think anyway. No, I'm going to do it from scratch, which is terrifying. Okay, first challenge. Text mum to find out where we keep everything. That bit I was laughing my head off. I love that. Photos to prove, please. Love the fact that you have to text your mum. Of which then I sent a photo of marinated pork fillet last night with roast potatoes and all sorts that I cooked for my son and I. Marinated pork fillet for Harry and I's dinner just to give you a sneak peek that I can cook. Gosh, I hate you. That looks so good. I'm so hungry. Might just eat cake mix. Love it. Hee hee. Just did the skewer thing they always do on Bake Off. No idea what I'm looking for, but it was fun. <laughs> With loads of flour in her hair. <laughs> Literally just laughing out loud. Uh, brilliant. Wish you filmed that, as I can just see your face. I'm not going to lie. If this is even edible, it will be the thing I'm most proud of in my entire life. Well, that says a lot about your life, my lovely. Oh, no, my dog just nearly ate my cake. Ha, ha, ha. And what does that say about yours? Mm, that she's got good taste. Hee, hee. Okay, well, I'm glad <laughs> we were... That's an insight into mine and Joe's life. Gosh, we're all thrilled with that. Just like um, to know that Joe's cake actually... Uh, uh, can we tell you our names for our cakes? Oh, yes, they have names. It gives it away. Really gives oh, it away. Okay, well, let me taste it first. Alex has, um, <laughs> has felt rather manfully taken a saw to the cakes. <laughs> it just looking like it was a bit of a struggle. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I can't possibly say. Okay. Um, see what you think when you, when you taste right. them. Oh, no. Well, I'm going to try the uh, Women Today branded cake first of all. Mickey, I bet you are so thrilled you came in today, I really you? am. Mm, that's good cake. That was a very instant response. Then. No, that was really nice, actually. Oh, okay, I was yeah. expecting that to be a little heavier, but you know, it's good. And um, okay, the other one. This is, just feels so wrong <laughs> on oh. radio. It feels so oh. wrong, doesn't it? Oh, that's got vanilla in it. Oh, oh, oh. secret ingredient: a bit of vanilla oh. essence in the sponge. Mm. Oh, okay, Alex, tell me what's you... coming up on your show, and then I'm oh. just going to decide. <laughs> you do you look lovely, oh. Beth. Your oh. hair looks lovely. <laughs> your makeup looks lovely. Oh, you look me. amazing. My script's hidden under a cake. It's covered in cake. Um, so yes. is my kitchen, Alex. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> Tweedle tidy it up for you. Don't worry. Um, on Alex in the afternoon today from three, we're talking to uh, Simon Thompson, who's a psychologist, about uh, why dads aren't hugging their children enough, and uh, how dads need to do that more. Um, plus, in order to win flights with City Wing, we're getting rather saucy this afternoon. And also, we're celebrating millions with thousands. And who is it who wrote murder on the typewriter? All of that from at three o'clock. Are you, getting all murder? Are you sure there's not a bit more you could say? No? No, 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 okay. no absolutely fine. So I have to make a decision. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're both fantastic. I love mm-hmm. you both. I'm going to say, visually, if it was just based on looks, I would have had to go for the Women Today one because... It was um, just very beautifully presented, but I, I loved the taste of the other one. 
Oh, well, there we go. Win-win. Yeah. No, pick is a proper winner. Cop out. Oh, no, cop out. no, don't, Beth. That's fine. Just take the As long as it's mine, pick a winner. You're a fan of Bake Off. Should we do the names off. now? Have you finished? Sorry. Sorry, this is our show. Uh, obviously. <laughs> um, okay, you're forcing me to pick a winner. I'm going to go for the one that's got the vanilla in it. Oh! Yes! Yes, I won just on the basis of vanilla. Never mind the effort for decoration on top. Oh, Kate, you're a winner to me. I'm hanging up my apron. First and last cake. It was lovely. Four hours, that Beth. Four hours. Do I get to keep the lollipops? That's, that's my. No, I've got to give oh, those. To my, really I've got to give those to my kids. I'm afraid. I'm really confused. I no, don't know what's were, going on. There were three lollipops, one each. Oh, well, but actually, cool. I think Kate should win because it is her first cake she's ever made. I don't stop backpedaling now. Okay, I won. I won because if Kate had won, you'd never hear the end of it. I won. Joe Pack won the cake contest. Women today, brought to you by CityWing.com for your next flight away. In my opinion, today is an historic day for the Isle of Man. We have the first openly gay leader in our history. As I'm sure many people have heard on the news or a mandate this morning, Chief Minister Alan Bell has been speaking to the Guardian newspaper about his sexuality and the topic of gay marriage. Here's Howard Kane with the news story. Chief Minister Alan Bell has spoken publicly about being gay for the first time, making him the island's first ever openly gay leader. In an article in the Guardian newspaper about the government's recently announced consultation on same-sex marriage, Mr Bell spoke frankly about his long-term relationship with another man. He told the newspaper, People know that I'm gay. I've never made a secret of it, but no one has ever asked me. Mr Bell is currently in Manchester attending the Conservative Party conference. Speaking to Alex Watton about working to legalise gay marriage, he told her it's been a personal passion of his throughout his political career. I have fought for equal rights for the whole community from the day I first came into to politics. I have supported, I like to think, most of the, in fact all of the liberalising legislation that's gone through, not just in terms of, of the Equality Bill, but in uh, labour legislation, social legislation. I absolutely believe that the Alaman has to move in this direction. It's, it's been a passion of my political life and it will stay with me right till I eventually retire. If it were legalised, would you want to get married? I uh, will have to see how the legislation goes. Now, the part of that interview which really stood out to me was this line, I've never made a secret of it, but no one has ever asked me. And it it just basically got me thinking, should anyone have to come out, to use that phrase, in 2015? Joe, what's your kind of gut reaction, I suppose? The phrase um, itself, coming out, gets me. I don't really get it. I don't understand why that... Whoever thought of that phrase, coming out, because it's kind of one of those things that you think, why would anyone have to do it? Um, You know, it's like me coming out and saying, hey, I'm... I'm getting divorced. Do I need to tell the world about it? You know, um, I think anyone who does decide to make it open and public that they are gay, then hats off to them because they're being incredibly brave by doing so. Um, and especially if they're telling their family members, I think that that must you must be so brave to be able to turn around to your parents and tell them. I'm with you. I think the phrase coming out, I, and I keep doing air quotes, which are great for radio, but <laughs> I think it's just that phrase really suggests to me that you were previously hiding something or that you, you were hiding yourself somewhere. So I, I too really do take issue with that phrase. But I do think this is something that's a really difficult thing for both me and you, Joe, to talk about. It's, it's easy to make 
a judgment as two straight women who have never had to go through it or really spend that much time about uh, thinking about it but I want to think that you don't have to come out. I want to think we live in a world and a society where it's acceptable just to always be out. There's never a need to be in. But I just wonder if we do live in that world. You know what? Um, I can... I remember a situation not that long ago. I was in London and I was on a tube and there were two young girls and um, quite trendy and they were giggling and they were laughing and they were having a great time and they were really attentive to each other. So they were holding hands, stroking each other's hair and they must have only been about 18 and, I mean, they were quite loud and gregarious so they obviously wanted to be very public about it but I I just looked around and just watched everyone looking at them and you could see everybody was staring at these two people because it, it didn't feel quite normal. And that's, well, that's what I made of it. And even I felt slightly uncomfortable about watching them. And I suppose maybe it's because they're being so public with their affection. Um, but it, it isn't normal, is it? Because we don't see it all the time. We don't hear about it all the time. I don't have many friends of mine that are gay. But I wouldn't feel that, you know, if if, if I knew somebody, I wouldn't want them to feel that they had to sit there and really think about coming out to me well I was in exactly that position with um, a very very good friend of mine at university who did sit me down in our kind of second third year and she told me that she's a lesbian and I genuinely think she was a little bit disappointed with my reaction I think she thought there was going to be kind of a big long discussion and we'd we'd cry and we'd hug at the end of it and I was probably so blasé that I was just like oh okay fine let's carry on with our, our day and I think I think she was a little bit disappointed. But to go back to what you were saying about it not being normal, again, in inverted commas, is that why it is important that people do come out publicly, even still in 2015, that we have that sort of role model? Mm, Possibly, possibly. I just hate the fact that these people are put under pressure to feel that they have to come out. I think that, you know, if it came in discussion, I mean, you know, we were just hearing then, and as you said, no one has ever asked me was the line that was read out. And I think that's quite a fair point, isn't it? Because I think we're also very afraid of asking people because we're not quite sure, you know. But then, really, is it any of our business? But then to play devil's advocate, are there some spheres where someone's sexuality is important to their role? I'm thinking, you know, somewhere like the church, where your beliefs and morals may hinge upon how you feel about um, homosexuality. And you want to know if the person that you're going to for moral guidance has the same morals and belief system that you have. So does it depend, I suppose, on which kind of sphere of society we're talking about totally i think yes you've played the right one there by mentioning religion because that's the one that comes strongly into my mind too it's not one i'm able to discuss very well because i'm not the most religious person and i you know what if there was a priest if there was a vicar and he was gay it wouldn't stop me going to see them um but there are a lot of people that it would because it's not right in their eyes carly and miles i'm interested on on your thoughts on this I think what it shows is it shows how tolerant and liberal the Allah man is. Um, because if no one's actually raised, raised a question in the beginning, it's just, it's just that people on the Allah man, they're prepared to accept things. It isn't an issue. And I, th- I think that's a really good, good thing for the Allah man. Absolutely. I think, um, I don't know if anyone follows me on Twitter in here, but um, that's exactly what I tweeted last night was that actually I was really proud that no one had asked him. Because do you know what? I don't care. So what? Yeah. What about you, Carly? I'd agree with what Miles 
um, it's just said there. The other thing is that, because Miles and myself were chatting about it on the way up here, is that it's a question of privacy, really. You know, it's someone's private life. Do they need to be a pride into that as well? Um, and as I say, the Isle of Man, you know, is very liberal in its approach. You know, is it really a question? Well, we've had a comment in from Nick who says, Hi all, agree with your comments 100%. Coming out implies that prior to this, the person was hidden, private and therefore ashamed. A good point. Our guest this afternoon is President of the Chamber of Commerce, Mickey Swindale. Uh, Mickey, you are the first female president. How significant is that? It's hard to say, isn't it? I'm, I'm always a bit bit cautious about making too big a song and dance about things like that but it is rather nice that that we have our first female ceo of chamber in jane Della, and then i become the first female president and then actually as you said only last week the first female partner at kpmg so it feels like it's a year of first um but yes i think i always like to see the fact that i'm a woman as incidental to what it is that, that we're achieving but i suppose it does show the change in society that up until this point there hadn't been a woman who had held that position at the Chamber of Commerce and so hopefully it's a real indicator of change. Well why do you think it's taken until now then? Funnily enough my my husband was uh, at an event in London yesterday talking about this talking about the role of women in the western world and they were they were saying that actually when you compare the western world to the to the emerging nations women still have much less of a voice and much less of a part to play in the kind of higher reaches of politics, the media and, uh, and, and of business. And, and when you look to the emerging nations, when you look to Africa, that's just not true. And, and I thought that I really hadn't expected that. You know, you sort of think we're at the vanguard of change, but, but we're not. A lot of those countries, though, have, have quota systems in place because they are emerging and they can, they can do that in a new sort of system. Is that something that you are are against you say your gender is incidental yeah i i am against quotas but it's something i've debated a lot with people because i do realize that sometimes you have to force change and people do tend to recruit or invite people to join them who they feel comfortable with and people who are very like you and the same gender as you you feel more comfortable with so i do understand people that are in favor of quotas but i would hate to think i would hate anyone to be able to say that I got the opportunities I got because of a quota, because I was a woman rather than because I was me. And that's the thing that really puts me off them. There are a few key phrases that we hear when we're talking about women in business, the glass ceiling being one. What do you make of, of that as a concept, first of all? Honestly, I think it's true. I think I think the glass ceiling absolutely has existed and I think it still exists. And it will only start to change slowly as as women do, do reach senior positions because I do think inevitably we're much more motivated at, at creating working environments where women can take career breaks, work more flexibly, because it's still the case, isn't it, that in the major- for the majority of couples the woman is the one that is more likely to stay at home during until their children go to school. Uh, and so it's, it is going to be inevitably women who do need that, that greater flexibility. And, and, and other women are more motivated and more understanding of that. Plus, it's, it's about role models. If you don't see women at the head of your business or in positions of power, then you don't necessarily picture yourself in those roles as well. So, How much easier do you think it's been for you, Mickey, because you haven't had to take a career break for family? Honestly, I think that has made a big difference. Um, That's not a reflection on KPMG at all, but I think it made it very easy for me to progress in exactly the same way as a man would have done. So the fact is then there are limitations for women, particularly those who, who choose to combine having a family as well as a career. From your position, having obviously, I assume, watched many of your colleagues go through that process, Mm. what would your advice be? 
Um, I think staying in touch with your work throughout you know your career break or your maternity leave or, or, or things like that um, maintaining those relationships we have quite a big alumni uh, program and so a, an awful lot of, of the girls who are off on maternity leave even if they don't work for us for five years they're still in touch they're still coming to events and I think that gives you much greater confidence about actually having the conversation of do you know I might quite like to come back or you know you, you still sort of have those bonds and, and those relationships so I think I think that can help a lot. I think it would still be fair to say that the, the world of business, particularly the world of accountancy, is still seen to be a male domain. Mm. How do you inspire young women of the future to believe that they can be whatever they want and achieve anything in that area? I guess by being an example, by being there, by by making sure that, that women are... Um, encouraged, supported, motivated, given options that perhaps haven't existed before. But I think the most important thing is the example you set by being someone in a senior position in a business. Well, let's talk about uh, the Chamber of Commerce. Um, What exactly do you do? (laughs) Well, basically, we're the voice of our member businesses and and a very significant proportion. I should have the statistics to hand, shouldn't I? Jane would kill me. Um, But a very significant proportion of the the businesses on the Isle of Man and something like 15,000 of the working population are represented in chamber organisations. And our job is to act as that voice because it's very difficult, particularly in a small environment for individual businesses or individual business people to to make strong representation to government or to the media because you expose yourself and other people will have opinions about what you've said so it's our job to represent the collective and be that strong voice that says no hang on this isn't right you know we need to take this direction or we need to take that approach because if we don't we're going to stifle the economy and ultimately chamber believes that economic growth is the driver of, of of societal benefits right across the board. And for the Isle of Man, if the economy doesn't grow, then ultimately we all suffer. And how seriously is uh, commerce's voice heard? Uh, I think very seriously now. And, and, and I've noticed it particularly, and, and maybe that's because I've had more access since I became president of Chamber. But it's been really noticeable that in within the sort of first month or so of taking on that role, I was in the chief minister's office, the treasury minister um, and, and the chief financial officer are having monthly meetings with us. And there's no doubt that government are very focused on making this a year about business, which is music to my ears and hopefully will make, will make our job a little bit easier. But I think they recognise that of their three strands of government, that growing the economy is the one that's going to be the real, the really transformative one. So take me through the role of president then. What actually do you do? What does that job entail? So my job is to make sure that Chamber has identified the things that it's going to effectively campaign for. Um, and, and what we've sort of said is that um, that we think this is a very delicate and and potentially vulnerable time for the Isle of Man because we're we're kind of beset by enemies is a strong word isn't it but you know there's no doubt that the that the outside world regards the Isle of Man and similar jurisdictions with a very jaundiced eye and has done increasingly over the last five years or so I'm not saying that's fair I actually think it's very unfair 
But I think it happened because the G20 found themselves under pressure. And I, I've, I've often quoted this, um, so, so, so if you've heard it before, forgive me. But um, there was this lovely quote right sort of at the beginning of the financial crisis, 2008-2009, when someone asked Barack Obama why this focus on the so-called tax havens rather than you know, the governments of the G20, all of whom were caught sleeping at the wheel you know, and, and, and the regulators when, when the economy went into crisis. And he said, when you're in a barroom brawl, you don't kick the guy who started it, you hit the guy you've always wanted to hit. And there's a lot of truth to that. There had been a lot of resentment that these small nations took the opportunity to take one differential, which was tax, and make themselves viable economies using that. And that resentment remains. But it's, it's key to us. It's key to our success. We can't lose that. How do you ensure that we don't, though, and, and, and still grow our reputation? Yeah. I mean, the Isle of Man's done an awful lot over the last three years or so to position itself, particularly in comparison to other jurisdictions, as whiter than white. I think you can take that too far. We have to be a little bit careful about slavishly um, following uncommercial regulation and making ourselves uncompetitive. So there's a balance here. But we have done an awful lot. But we've also got advantages compared to other jurisdictions, similar jurisdictions. And and I've talked quite extensively about, about these two things. One is our ability to be a digital island. You know, because of the growth of the e-gaming sector, our, our, techni- our, our telecoms infrastructure, our power infrastructure, all those sort of things, we have a real cluster of digital expertise here and we need to build on it because that's where the growth in the economy is coming from. Financial technology, um, uh, uh, disruptive technologies, all of these things. We live in a digital age. Uh, and the other thing is that we are, we are a large, not densely populated island, which has a huge need for skills. So population growth, working population growth is going to be essential to our success. And Jersey can't do that. Guernsey can't do that. Gibraltar certainly can't do that. So those are the two things that Chamber think are real opportunities for the Isle of Man. It's interesting, Mickey, that you're talking about uh, the digital age then, because Mm. we've had a question for you on Twitter um, asking why the Chamber of Commerce doesn't use social media more often to get their message across. Now, Jane would be cringing if she heard this, because she's not a huge fan of social media. Um, uh, I am, and and it's something actually that Chamber are looking to change, both both our our Twitter site and our Facebook site, where we're working on quite heavily at the moment. I think it's absolutely essential. It's a really good way of interacting with people and generating debate. And so, so it's, it's, a, it's a good question and a well-voiced criticism. It needs to change. Today is the 21st annual National Poetry Day. And this year's theme is Make Like a Poet. I'm not going to pretend that any of us have got any poetic talent. So we thought instead that we'd share with you some of our favourite poems, you know, the ones that really mean something to us. And, of course, we would love to hear yours. You can write one as well. We don't mind. We'd quite like that, actually. Uh, OK, girls, so who wants to start us off? Kate? Oh, OK. OK. I have picked a poem that I have always really liked. It's one that my dad uh, recommended to me years and years and years ago when I was doing my English speaking board exams. And it is a war poem by Wilfred Owen. Shall I, shall I read it Go in my it. best poetry voice? OK. Oh, I'm a bit nervous. Why am I nervous? Bent double like old beggars under sacks, knock-kneed, coughing like hags, we cursed through sludge, till on the haunting flares we turned our backs, and towards our distant rest began to trudge. Men marched asleep, many had lost their boots, but limped on, bloodshod, all went lame, all blind, drunk with fatigue, deaf even to the hoots of tired, outstripped five nines that dropped behind. 
Gas, gas, quick boys, an ecstasy of fumbling, fitting the clumsy helmets just in time. But someone still was yelling out and stumbling and floundering like a man in fire or lime. Dim through the misty panes and thick green light as under a green sea I saw him drowning. In all my dreams, before my helpless sight, he plunges at me, guttering, choking, drowning. If in some smothering dreams you too could pace behind the wagon that we flung him in and watch the white eyes writhing in his face, his hanging face like a devil's sick of sin. If you could hear at every jolt the blood come gargling from the froth-corrupted lungs, obscene as cancer, bitter as the cud of vile incurable sores on innocent tongues. My friend, you would not tell with such high zest to children ardent for some desperate glory. The old lie. Dolce decorum est pro patria more. Wow. Ooh, was that okay? That beautifully was brilliant. Said. That was beautifully. That's um, my English speaking board training just came in. I think my favourite poems are always ones that really make me feel quite emotional. And this is one that um, my friend put on her Facebook page, actually, after she lost a baby. And it was just, you know, one of those ones that really get me. And this is called Footprints. These are my footprints, so perfect and so small. These tiny footprints never touched the ground at all. Not one tiny footprint, for now I have wings. These tiny footprints were meant for other things. You will hear my tiny footprints in the patter of the rain, gentle drops like angels' tears of joy and not from pain. You will see my tiny footprints in each butterfly's lazy dance. I'll let you know I'm with you if you just give me the chance. You will see my tiny footprints in the rustle of the leaves. I will whisper names into the wind and call each one that grieves. Most of all, these tiny footprints are found on mummy and daddy's hearts, even though I'm gone now, will never truly part. Oh, wow, mm. that's pretty emotional stuff there, Beth. Beautifully read again. I love how we go into these poetic voices, suddenly so different. <laughs> I was well, I'm going to change the mood slightly, OK, because it's a little bit different. This is a memory of my childhood, the owl and the pussycat poem. The owl and the pussycat went to sea in a beautiful pea-green boat. They took some honey and plenty of money wrapped up in a five-pound note. The owl looked up to the stars above and sang to a small guitar. Oh, lovely pussy, oh, pussy, my love, what a beautiful pussy you are. You are, you are. What a beautiful pussy you are. Pussy said to the owl, you elegant fowl, how charmingly sweet you sing. Oh, let us be married. Too long we have tarried. <laughs> shall we? See, my voice is gone. But what shall we do for a rig? They sailed away for a year and a day to the land where the bong tree grows. And there in a wood, in a piggy wig stood with a ring at the end of his nose, his nose, his nose, with a ring at the end of his nose. Dear pig, are you willing to sell for one shilling your ring? Said the piggy, I will. So they took it away and were married next day by the turkey who lives on the hill. They dined on mince and slices of quince, which they ate with a runcible spoon. And hand in hand on the edge of the sand, they danced by the light of the moon, the moon, the moon. They danced by the light of the moon. That was beautiful. <laughs> I don't. Can I, I go now. I don't. I, I don't know why she's laughing. Alex Brindley's lost. I, 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 I'm just laughing due to the fact that Joe's poetry voice is so different to the, the poetry voice that both of you put on. That's all okay. I'm going to say. Um, I'm not even going to ask you for one of your poems because it was very rude. Um, just tell us what's on your show. Excuse me. I actually had a proper poem prepared, oh, but never mind. No, no, that's fine. Thanks as always to our amazing guests. And as ever, it's never too late for you to get involved. Head over to Facebook, find the Women Today Facebook page, and you can comment there, or you can follow us at MR Women Today on Twitter. And you can listen again to the full programmes on manxradio.com or join us every weekday live from just after two o'clock. 
Don't sit in the slow lane. Join the fast lane right now with Shaw's all-new Superfast Plus Broadband. Enjoy more bandwidth, amazing speeds and the best value on the island from just £23.95 per month. So don't be left behind. Get a piece of the high-speed action with Superfast Plus Broadband from Shaw. For details, visit our stores in Douglas, Ramsey and Port Erin or click Shaw.com. Love being Shaw. Terms and conditions apply.